Chapter Four of Pieces of Hate and Other Enthusiasms. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Pieces of Hate and Other Enthusiasms by Haywood Broom. G. K. C. The ship newsman said that Gilbert K. Chesterton was staying at the Commodore, and the telephone girl said he wasn't. But we'd trust even a ship newsman before a Hotel Central, and so we persisted. In fact, we almost persuaded her. Maybe he's connected with one of the automobile companies that are exhibiting here, she suggested helpfully. For a moment we wondered if by any chance the hotel authorities had made an error and placed him in the lobby with the ten-ton trucks. It seemed too fantastic. He's not with any automobile company, we said severely. Didn't you ever hear of the man who was Thursday? He may have been here Thursday, but he's not registered now, she answered with some assurance. We didn't seem to be getting on. It's a book, we shouted. He wrote it. Not in this hotel, said Central, with an air of finality, and rang off before we could try her out on Man Alive or The Ball and the Cross. Still, it turned out eventually that she was right, for it was the Biltmore, which at last acknowledged Mr. Chesterton somewhat reluctantly after we had spelled out the name. Not in his room, but somewhere about the hotel, was the message. You can find him, said the city editor with confidence. Just take this picture with you. He's sort of fat, and he speaks with an English accent. We had a more helpful description than that in our mind, because we remembered Chesterton's answer when a sweet girl admirer once remarked, It must be wonderful to walk along the streets when everybody knows who you are. Yes, said Chesterton, and if they don't know, they ask. He wasn't in the bar, but we found him in the smoking room. He was giving somebody an interview without much enthusiasm. It seemed to be the last round. Chesterton was beginning to droop. Every paradox, we feared, had been hammered out of him. He rose a little wearily and started for the elevator. We chased him. At last we had the satisfaction of finding someone we could outrun. He paused, and now we know the look which the wedding guest must have given to the ancient mariner. "'It's for the New York Tribune,' we said. "'How about next week?' suggested Mr. Chesterton. "'It's a daily newspaper,' we remonstrated. "'You know, Grantland Rice and the Conning Tower and When a Fella Needs a Friend.' Something in the title of the Briggs series must have touched him. Tomorrow, perhaps, he answered. Feeling that the mountain was about to come through, we stood our ground like another Mohammed. Better than that, we rose to one of the few superb moments in our life. Looking at Mr. Chesterton coldly, we said slowly, It must be now or never. And we used a gesture. The nature of it escapes us, but it was something appropriate. Later we wondered just what reply would have been possible if he had answered, Never. After the danger had passed, we realized 
that we had been holding up the visitor with an empty gun. It must have been our manner which awed him, and he stopped walking and almost turned around. The pressmen have been here since two o'clock, he complained, more in sorrow than in anger. What is it you want to know? At that stage of the interview, the advantage passed to him. The whole world lay before us. Dimly, we could hear the problems of a great and unhappy universe flapping in our ears and urging us with unintelligible hoarse calls to present their cases for solution. And we stood there, unable to think of a single thing which we wanted to know. Mostly we had read Chesterton on rum and religion, but there were too many people passing to give the proper atmosphere for any such confidential questions. Moreover, if he should question us in turn, we realized that we would be unable to give him any information as to when to boil and went to skim, nor did we feel sufficiently well disposed to let him in on the name of the drug store, where, you say, I'm a patient of Dr. Brown's, and are forthwith allowed to buy gin. All the questions we had ever asked anybody in our life passed rapidly before us. What do you think of our tall buildings? Have you ever thought of playing Hamlet? Why are you called the woman with the most beautiful legs in Paris? We remembered that the last had seemed silly even when we first used it on Mistengay. On second thought, we had told the interpreter to let it drop because the photographers were anxious to begin. There seemed to be even less sense to it now. Indeed, none of our familiar inquiries struck us as appropriate. What American authors do you read? We ventured timidly and added living ones hoping to get something about Main Street for Wednesday's book column. I don't read any, he answered. That seemed to us a possible handicap in pursuing that line of inquiry. I don't read any living English authors either, Mr. Chesterton added hastily, as if he feared that he had trod upon our patriotism. Nothing but dead authors and detective stories. That we had expected. In the march up to the height of fame, there comes a spot close to the summit in which man reads nothing but detective stories. It is the Antean touch which distinguishes all Olympians. As you remember, Antaeus was the demigod who had to touch the earth every once and so often to preserve his immortality. Probably he did it by reading a good murder story. "'Can you tell me what Mary Rose is all about?' we suggested, still fumbling for a literary theme. "'I haven't seen Mary Rose,' said Mr. Chesterton, although he did go on to tell us that Marie had done several excellent plays. Probably there was a long pause then while we tried to think up something provocative about the Irish question. "'If you really will excuse me, I must go to my room,' he burst out. The pressmen have been here ever since two o'clock. This, of course, is no land in which to stand between a man and his room, where heaven knows what solace may await the distinguished visitor who has been spending two and a half hours with the pressmen. We stepped aside willingly enough. Still, we must confess a slight disappointment in Gilbert K. Chesterton. He's not as fat as we had heard. End of chapter 4
Recording by Richard Kilmer, Rio Medina, Texas.